All right, well, good morning. Feels like a nice, uh, cozy, rainy morning. I don't know if cozy is how the temperature feels, but being with you all feels cozy. So uh, uh, in from the coldness. Um, looking forward this morning to continuing our Doctrine of Life, um, Doctrine for Life class. Um, I was telling Ryan during elder prayer before we started, when I think of the doctrine of God's holiness, it feels like one of those things you wonder when you'll ever be old enough to teach on it. Like just there's these topics that are just, they're big and they're weighty. Uh, so many feel that way. Um, but holiness is one of those terms that that's, that's how I uh, think about it as we come to it. But on the other hand, it's also um, very accessible. There are parts of it that are very accessible and parts that are just far beyond us. So that's where I'm coming from this morning a little bit. Um, but just as we think of a recap of where we've been uh, a little bit, we've been in our Doctrine of Life class um, really trying to hold this connection between what the Bible says and the doctrines that it gives and how those are to shape our lives. It can be easy for um, those two things to become split. Paul Tripp talks about this dangerous dichotomy when the things that we say we believe are not pairing up with how we live. And so that's something we want to be aware of and intentionally thinking about as we think about what the Bible says about God and our relationship with him. Um, we looked at doctrine in general. We talked a bit about the doctrine of scripture, um, spent a week on that. And then Paul has been um, talking about the doctrine of God. And so we had three weeks talking about that. Um, again, books are written on any of these things, <laughs> and, uh, but bringing them down into a way that we can think about, be edified by, and continue to explore. Today we're going to zero in then, it's kind of a subset of the doctrine of God, to the doctrine of God's holiness. And Paul Tripp, you know, in this book that we're going through, this Do You Believe book, out of 12 doctrines that he covers, he picked the doctrine of the holiness of God as one to devote two chapters to. Each of the doctrines is two chapters, one on the doctrine, one on application of it. And I'm so glad that he did because I think it's something that can easily be kind of left out of our minds. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit as we go on. It can be something that's fuzzy for us maybe, and yet it's all over scripture. The word holy is almost on every page, it feels like, uh, as you go through the scriptures. So I'm glad that he spends time doing that. Also, um, Jen Wilkin, in her book, In His Image, begins in chapter one. This book's on the communicable attributes of God. She also has a book on the incommunicable attributes. I know the ladies' study went through this, right? Um, and her first chapter is called God Most Holy, and she just takes on the doctrine of holiness and just does a beautiful job. And that's also been included in our discipleship curriculum. So if you go through the discipleship process here, um, which is something we'd love for every believer to get a chance to do and be paired up with someone else, you begin by reading that chapter, uh, exploring God's holiness, and she just does a great job. So I'll be pulling from some of what she says as well. So those are just some things to kind of orient us just to the teachings about holiness. I mentioned in the email that I sent to the church that this is a topic that I've felt conflicted about as I've heard the term. Um, have you ever felt that way? You hear holiness, and I think we know as Christians we're supposed to like that word, right? Again, it's in the Bible all the time. Um, but there can be a part of it that feels 
scary, overwhelming to us. Um, that's something that I felt for most of my life and still wrestle with sometimes when I come to it. Um, I think what we'll see is as we look at it, there's a part of that that's actually fitting. There's an aspect of holiness that will continue to overwhelm us always. <laughs> that's part of what the essence of holiness is, God's holiness. And yet there can be, I know in my thinking, there was wrong thinking of it that wasn't as much shaped by the cross and the heart of God that left it at this fear or dread that wasn't compatible with the rest of Scripture. And so hopefully as we look through it uh, at this today, it will help with some of that incompleteness that, that I was dealing with and, and still think through. I just want to give one disclaimer before uh, we start, and that's that this week we'll be talking about um, the holiness of God. Both, both weeks are really about the holiness of God, but in particular this week, I'm not going to be focusing on how God makes us holy or our experience of being conformed into his holiness, we'll talk more about that next week. So if we're going along in this and you're like, why aren't you talking about how God makes us holy? Um, you're picking up on something right, and we're just talking about it next week. So um, anyhow, just in case that causes cognitive dissonance. So I thought as uh, we start this morning, it'd be great to go to one of the classic passages about the holiness of God. Anyone have an idea what that is? Genesis 1. Just kidding. No, we always say that for everything. Um, Isaiah 6. I heard some. <laughs> so, anyhow, uh, Isaiah 6. And I'd encourage you to turn there. I'm going to read it, then we'll pray and ask for God's help, and then it'll be in the backdrop of some of the things that we'll be talking about. Uh, in the email that I sent out, someone wrote back, when I think about God's holiness, I think about R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God. And uh, I think about that book too. And then I saw a video study by R.C. Sproul on that. And his hair was all wild and he's writing on the chalkboard and super excited. It was amazing. Um, but a lot of that book is unpacking Isaiah 6. And um, so let's just orient ourselves to that. Uh, this is the transition where King Uzziah has died and um, Isaiah gets his uh, prophetic call here and it, it teaches us so much. So Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 7, this is God's word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Let's pray and then we'll um, continue to talk about this. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word, and we pray for your help as we consider it this morning. We come before you as the holy triune God, 
and we do so with reverence and awe and fear. We thank you that through the work of Jesus, our sin has been atoned for, and your holiness is not something that just keeps us from you, um, but it is something that sends you toward us in love, and we're amazed at that. So we pray that you'd help us as we consider the wonder of who you are and how you relate to us, and we ask that your spirit would help our hearts to understand these things, to be filled with joy in believing them, and to respond in gratitude to who you are and what you've done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we can, that's all, if you're following along on a handout, um, that's kind of the front of that, of just introductory uh, things to kind of orient us. And then as we turn inside, we come to the question of what is God's holiness? And if we think about the word holy, I think this is really helpful because it's a term that can be so kind of amorphous to us, right? Um, But there are really two clear aspects of God's holiness that I find as I keep those things in mind, then it orients me to, to thinking about this rightly. And those things are separate, separateness, and purity, so separate and pure, and we'll just look at those in turn. But the, f- the first part of this, that holiness, part of what it means is to be separate. It comes a lot from just what the word holy comes from. It comes from a verb that means to cut or to separate, right? So that's contained right in kind of the meaning of the word there. And in general terms, what that's doing is really pointing out what what Paul talked about in our our Doctrine of God section of that difference in the um, creator-creature divide, that God alone is the creator, and that there's this divide that's really a giant chasm, and that we find ourselves situated on the other side, along with everything else in, the, in creation, on the other side of this divide, that the holiness of God is referring to the separateness, the set-apartness of God, um, especially over and above everything else, which could all be called creation. Um, and so when we think of holy, it's, it's kind of fun in English because it, it sounds the same. So you have holy and then you have holy, <laughs> meaning holy other, right? And so that um, can kind of bring that to mind. When we think of holy, holy otherness is a part of what that's referring to. And scripture refers to God as being unique in this way, kind of all throughout. But Exodus fifteen eleven, so that, that song of praise after the Red Sea, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, and then hear this, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. The, the point of that song is there is no one else like God who is majestic in his holy otherness, right? So Exodus fifteen eleven is saying that. 1 Samuel 2.2, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. See how holiness is being used to talk about the, the difference. There's no one else, nothing else, no one else like God himself. Um, J.I. Packer has a little book called Concise Theology, which is so helpful too, if, if you're looking for just a nice little theological book. But when you what he says about the holiness of God is when scripture calls God 
or individual persons of the Godhead, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When, when Scripture speaks of God as holy, the word signifies everything about God that sets him apart from us and makes him an object of awe, adoration, and dread to us. So everything that sets God apart is kind of his holiness. Um, Paul Tripp, in his book, he talks about, um, and again, every human analogy breaks down, but this is helpful, I think. He um, got to see the Burj Khalifa, um, which is the tallest building in the world right now. And so that's located, anyone know where it is? It's in Dubai, so in the United Arab Emirates. And so it is 2,722 feet tall, just over half a mile. <laughs> so you walk half a mile and we're all out of breath when we do. Just kidding. Um, and you think going up, that's just mind-boggling. It just towers above every building in the region. And it's, it's taller than if you think of some of the other um, tallest buildings, it's taller than them. It has the most floors of any building, 163 floors. <laughs> That's just amazing. The World Trade Center, which had the most floors before this, was 110. So not good at math, but 50 more floors. Um, and so, but part of what he talks about is just the experience of encountering a building this tall. And you can think about that even with the Grand Canyon, but that goes low. This goes up. But you see this building that then towers above all these other tall buildings, these buildings that if they were in San Diego, we would think, those are huge. But then they all look small compared to this. And then as you approach the building, have you, um, we lived in Chicago for a while when we were at Moody Bible Institute. And from a distance, you can see the top of what was then the Sears tower, the Hancock building. As you start to get a few blocks, you're like this, right? And then if you get under the building, you can't see anywhere near the top. You just see the next 10 floors, maybe. That's how towering they are in our perspective. Um, and, and that's giving us a sense of the otherness that holiness is talking about, this towering above in a way that we can't even kind of see. And then Paul Tripp talks about the experience of actually going up in this building as high as they let you go and looking out on the other buildings and just seeing the perspective from being that high. You know, a normal house is just a dot. A super tall building, the city itself is so tiny, right? That's part of, on like a human level, what holiness is getting at is the greatness of that divide, the radical difference of perspective that God has just in his very being as God and creator. Um, so one aspect of God's holiness is that separateness, that otherness. The other aspect that then is tied to that is purity, uh, the purity of God. So separate but also pure. And so you'll see that there on your handout. Um, Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. So not only is God holy, but where he dwells is holy. And then that has implications for other things. But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. There's this discerning holiness that God has as he looks out and can see any impurity. Um, it's also in this, 
this concept of God as a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24. The Lord your God is a consuming fire. Speaking of just the purity of his character. And then really where we can see this unpacked that we've, we've already looked at a little bit is Isaiah 6. Think about what's happening there in Isaiah 6. You have heavenly beings, the seraphim, which, you know, as we think of the creation's hierarchy or whatever, we would say that heavenly beings are pretty high up on the list, right? <laughs> um, fit for God's presence in some ways. And yet these, div- um, not divine beings, but these heavenly beings, these angels, they have six wings. And what are four of those wings doing? covering parts of themselves, right? Covering their eyes, two wings covering their eyes, because even for them who are not um, tarnished by sin like we are, even for them to gaze directly upon God would be destruction, right? So even these heavenly beings are covering their eyes from the glory, the holiness of God, and then also covering their feet. Um, And feet are something that we see all throughout scripture um, that in many ways, we'll, we'll refer to our uncleanness, right? Take off your sandals because the place you're standing is, is holy ground. Um, covering your feet and it becomes euphemisms for, for other things that are unclean. And so um, they're veiling themselves from God's holiness because of his purity. And we see that not only with these angelic beings, but, beings, but then what is Isaiah's response in the presence of God? Woe is me. Why? For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That in in the presence of God, one of the things most acutely felt is the purity of him, and consequently then our impurity. Um, Now, when we think about purity— I think it's really important to think of both the positive and the negative of purity, or the positive and the negative of holiness. And, and what I mean by that is this. Purity means pure from, we could think of it as being pure from evil things or sinful things. Um, God does not do, God does not want to do, James tells us God is not even able to do, wrong or evil or sin, right? Um, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Um, He doesn't think any unholy, impure thoughts. He doesn't do any unholy things. Everything that he does is pure and good and holy in that sense. And so he is pure from all impurity, all evil, all wickedness, all sin. Uh, That's part of his holiness. But there's another aspect to that too. It's also pure um, for, (laughs) meaning he positively does pure things. It's not just that God doesn't do bad things. It's that everything that he thinks and does and is, is pure. And I think where this can be interesting for us is, you know, if we think of being holy as cutting out every bad part of our lives, (laughs) I think if we think about doing that, what's the end result? 
we don't do much, <laughs> right? Like if we think, I want to live in a way that doesn't do any evil, then part of that is, I'm not going to talk to many people because when I talk, evil happens in my heart and comes out of my mouth. If I'm not going to do evil, I'm not going to engage much in the gifts of God because every time I do, sin has so distorted me that I'm tempted to worship those gifts or to find a glass of wine and turn to that as the Savior or to look at nature and think, wow, I'm pretty awesome. Like, it just tunnels us in and in and in if we think cut off all bad things, right? Because sin has so pervaded us um, that what we end up, I think, a lot of times picturing when we think of the purity of holiness in terms of people is more a stoic lifestyle of disengagement from everything because of how distorted um, sin has made us. Last week, Ryan mentioned in Romans 1 that we're called to be saints or called to be holy ones. Again, we'll talk about that aspect of it more next week. But, and then he went on to say, holiness is not uptight or snooty. And I agree. And I think that's what this is getting at, is so many times we conceive of holiness as stopping things when Purity is both saying no to things, but it's also saying yes to things. And God in his holiness is always saying yes to that which is pure. Purity and holiness for God does not equate with any less action, right? He thinks and does and is always in these perfect ways. And um, just a few things that kind of remind us of this as we just get this more holistic, I think, view of purity. The Trinity reminds us of, of how God relates in purity and holiness. God's holiness is not withdrawing from relationship, right? He has forever existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the social relationship of the Trinity. And so for God, holiness does not mean not relating and keeping to himself. But there's a perfection and a joy and a delight in the relations of God. Um, so the Trinity reminds us of this relational aspect of his holiness. The, the creation reminds us of this. I mean, you could think of God who is in himself holy, that, that what would make sense for him then is, then is to just stay in that form and not do anything, right? But instead, what do we find God doing? We find God creating, right? Creating a world and then creating people who then become tarnished by sin and God is able to continue somehow to move toward and relate to even tarnished unholiness in some way. And so it's just amazing how much God's purity is not just from, but it is for as well. Um, and then, you know, if we're ever... So what I'm talking about here is just a distorted view of holiness that's kind of like stoic and snooty, like Ryan said. If we ever find ourselves going in that direction, the incarnation is also super helpful to us, right? Because in it, we see Jesus, the Holy One of God. We see what holiness in a world like ours actually looks like. And it's so many of the things that we don't think that it looks like. It's him waking up every day. It's him eating a meal. Um, 
It's him being with people and talking and laughing. It's not just like we sometimes see in Jesus movies where he's kind of this robot that then just delivers these gospel passages. Uh, There's a whole bunch of normal, holy life that Jesus lived in between delivering those messages. Um, And so that helps fill out our view of the purity aspect of the holiness of God. Um, One other thing just just related to this, when we think of God as pure, uh, a category we can think of is when the Bible speaks of God as being light, the, the luminescence of God. There, there's, there are all kinds of things about that, but part of what that's getting at, when John says that God is light in 1 John um, 1, 5, with no darkness in him at all, um, the image is affirming God's holy purity, um, darkness signifying impurity for, for God who is light. There's no impurity. And, and it's connected to ethical purity. It speaks of us walking in the darkness, not practicing the truth. But now we can walk in the light, walk in holiness, walk in purity, just as he is in the light. And, and so, but when we think of light as speaking of the holiness of God, we see how there's these two sides to it, right? That um, on the one hand, it's so bright and it's so other and so blinding that we have to cover our eyes, right? And yet there's something so glorious, so beautiful, so awe-inspiring about it that we want to move toward it. And so you find that tension as we as creatures and especially fallen creatures interact with this other purity that comes in the, the holiness of God. Um, uh, let me hit number three here just to kind of wrap this up, then we'll open it up for questions and comments, and then we'll move into application, all right? Um, those are the, these are the two things to keep in mind of what holiness refers to. There's something else that's on your sheet, and it's just the uniqueness of God's holiness. Um, and I just want to point that out for us to think about. What's unique about God's holiness as we consider that in relation to his other attributes? Well, it's what we found in Isaiah 6, that it is the only attribute of God that is elevated to this threefold level. Um, It's the only thing that's said about God three times. And, And in Hebrew language, repetition is how you elevate something. If you want to underline and bold and all that, you just keep saying it, right? Because you're not doing bold text and most people aren't even reading this stuff. It's being read to them, right? So holy, holy, holy. And this gets picked up in Revelation 4, 8 that's being um, said of God continually. And R.C. Sproul, one of the things that he brought out that I think is so helpful to think about is the scriptures tell us holy, 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 but, but never love, 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 or mercy, 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 or justice, justice, justice. Holiness is unique in the sense that it is the only one that is spoken of that way. And there's a reason for this. In a certain sense, holiness characterizes all of God's attributes. If we think about any of the attributes of God, um, so his all-knowingness, his justice, his wrath, his love, his mercy. Like you think of any of these, his eternality. Um, 
Holiness speaks of how he in his being is wholly other and perfectly pure, and that shapes every one of those attributes. Um, The exercising of the other attributes is in holiness. God shows a holy love. He shows a holy mercy, a holy wrath, holy justice. Everything about him is completely other and completely pure. J.I. Packer says, holiness covers all aspects of his transcendent greatness. That's the, the distance between us. And moral perfection and thus is an attribute of all his attributes. And then listen, I just think this is the takeaway, really. Holiness is pointing to the godness of God at every point. (laughs) Everything we talk about, God is still holy other and always perfectly pure, no matter what it is. And so that's what's amazing about um, uh, God's holiness. Every facet of God's nature, every aspect of his character, may properly be spoken of as holy just because it's his. Um, That's how amazing it is. Jen Wilkin speaks of this when we think of his love and his justice. And I think this is just a great way to kind of bring that down, right? Um, Bring that down on the ground. Listen to what she says. God deserves our worship for both his love and his justice. You know, sometimes as Christians, we may pit those things against each other. I serve a God of justice, and he's mad at you. I serve a God of love, and he's fine with everybody. And like, we pit them against each other, when in reality, that's not what's happening. Um, it's a, she says this, God deserves our worship for both his love and his justice. But his love and his justice are imbued with and defined by his holiness. He does not merely love. He loves out of utter purity of character. He does not merely act justly. He acts justly out of utter purity of character. If we emphasize any of his attributes above or apart from his holiness, we fashion him after our own imagining or for our own ends. His love becomes love on human terms rather than a holy love. His justice becomes justice on human terms rather than holy justice. Good job, Jen. Uh, I, I just think that's, that's beautiful and important for us to keep in mind. Um, now, that said, one more thing, and then we'll just we'll, um, pause. But that said, <clears throat> um, this is actually how we are to think of all of God's attributes, though. So, Holiness is unique in the sense that holy, 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 that it it is spelled out in Scripture and lifted to this level. On the other hand, I I just want to mention that, well, I already have a circle that's representing God. I don't need it. We don't live in a world with two of those. Okay, let's see. (laughs) Scared you for a minute. And he's like in between. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, Oh boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, When we think about God and his attributes, sometimes we think of it like this, right? And this is, anyhow, so you could have, uh, he's got love and justice and wrath and eternality and, you know, all these things. And they're all these little parts. And which do they relate? And we could say, like, maybe in this line of thinking, we're like, yeah, but holiness, it said three times. So that's a big circle. Um, That's not how God's attributes are to be thought of. And that's what Paul was getting at with the doctrine of the simplicity of God. God is without parts in the sense that, 
all of God <laughs> is all of these attributes, um, that he is pure in all of these things. And attributes are just giving handles to aspects of him that are not compartments of him, saying holiness is a bigger one. So um, when we think of any of his attributes, it can't be held out in disconnection from the others. It's always perfectly shaped by them. And that's really what holiness, I, I think that's where the uniqueness of holiness is, is it's capturing that, that everything about God is perfectly pure and completely separate, whether it's his love or um, knowledge or whatever it may be. So <clears throat> I just want to summarize this then. Holiness refers to two things, the separateness and the purity of God. And we see these both in Isaiah 6, right? When you come to that passage, Isaiah is confronted by the otherness of this God who's on the throne and his robe fills the temple, like there's no end to it, and also his purity. And um, Matthew Barrett, in the book that Paul was mentioning, he just has this, and let me just say it or read it as just a summary of this. As Isaiah stands in the presence of God, seraphim flying over the throne, smoke filling the air, the ground under him and the walls around him violently shake from the cries of the seraphim, and Isaiah is brought to his knees. Can you imagine just how petrified he must be? Isaiah surely thinks he is about to be swallowed whole. In that moment, no doubt, Isaiah sees his life flash before his eyes. Now hear how the two things come together. Never before have both the finitude of his existence, <laughs> that he's down here, uh, and the sinfulness of his soul been so exposed. And such is the effect of standing in the presence of the Holy One. I thought that's, that's just a nice summary. And it's pulling those threads together. Okay. I have said words. Um, do you have questions or comments about, either, either questions about what we've covered about God's holiness or comments of how his separateness and his purity or just how holiness is a beautiful thing to you or a scary thing? It's questions or comments on holiness, but not referring to our becoming holy because that's next week. So. <laughs> Uh, and someone has a microphone. Caleb, thanks. I what? They'll adjust probably. Okay. I don't hear it yet. Oh, man. But I wonder if you find um, God's holiness comforting here. Just... If I find it? If, if we all We're getting personal, it. Kevin. Can, I, oh. can, we come, can we come to that, uh, to, that to think that his love is holy. His justice is holy. He, his mercy is holy. Um, in, in its perfection, there's no flaw in it. Um, he always does what is right. Mm -hmm. All of those aspects um, I, I find are very comfortable, comforting. Mm -hmm. and, and yet, it doesn't make me... Um, it doesn't bring him down to my level. That's not the kind of comfort that it is. Sure. It's knowing that there is someone who is so good is gives great hope. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. 
yeah, these things, I think, when, when rightly understood, will, um, they will bring comfort. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in the why does it matter part as well, but yeah. Anything else? Any other questions or comments just about these aspects of God's holiness or... I got a question. Hair. You have a question? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you said earlier that because of God's holiness, uh, he's not able to tempt us because he's not, that's not who he is. But in the Old Testament, we see like he does certain things to test the Israelites. So I was just wondering if you could differentiate between God testing us versus allowing Satan to tempt us. Allowing Satan to tempt us? Was that the last part of that? Yeah. Testing and tempting? Wow, Caleb, way to go for the jugular. <laughs> Um, let's see. I, I think we could boil it down probably to this, that Satan's designs of tempting are toward our destruction. And God's intention for testing is to reveal what is there and to show it for what it is. Like that's what we see more in First Peter, meaning that God's testing is toward an end of our good. And Satan is, Satan's is toward an end of our destruction. Um, those two different motivations can make something that seems hard have two radically different purposes, right? And so there's a lot more that could be said, but I think if we just boil it down to that, I do think that's helpful. Is that helpful with what you're... Um, yeah. Yeah, testing isn't like it is with Satan to be like, I want more people to fail. It is a, I am orchestrating something that will work good and I'll use for good and display the good that I am doing in them. Um, and so it's, it's producing all these good things, even though the word test still brings to mind the difficulty of what's being endured. That's some of it. Anything else? This side of the room hasn't, uh, uh, Hank? Okay. Got it. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. Um. The subject of the holiness of God to me and everything you've just said kind of falls into this category. It's both at the same time what we need and yet what we're most terrified of. Yeah. Like Isaiah is a good example. He's there. He, we all want to be in the temple. But if we're not fit for the temple, uh, it's, it's terrifying and deadly. Yeah. And so I think that's true of the human condition, right? I mean, and, and the solution is the tongs on the lips and the purifying to make him fit and to give him strength to, to carry out his mission. And so it is with us. Yeah, it's really good. Holiness will always have a proper awe to it, A-W-E, but the, the dread through the redemption that Christ brings is different for us in Christ. It, it, it changes it to an awe of delight and wonder from one of being undone as Isaiah was undone before redemption, right? Um, and that shift is important to understand in our minds. That's why we talk about that change every week. And with the Lord's Supper, it's saying, this is the new covenant that says that his holy wrath has been assuaged um, and that now welcome is what's extended. Sorry, I'm getting into what matters, but, but you're exactly right. Um, and yet it doesn't somehow make this tame, holiness tame, or, oh, that's nice. Um, it's, it stays very big and very 
terrifying in the right sense of the word. The, the fear of God that's a good trembling of his goodness and wonder, and in particular, his love toward us. Um, but we still shake when we consider something, someone, so other and so pure. Um, okay, well, I don't see like everyone just squirming, wanting to talk. So let's look at some um, applications then together of why does this matter? And then you can also know next week we can talk about this more too, just as we kind of soak it in. So thanks, Caleb, for facilitating that. Um, there, are, there are many ways that God's holiness is helpful to us as Christians. One of the beautiful things about um, Tripp's book is he spends a whole chapter just applying it, and those chapters are longer than unpacking the doctrine. He gives nine applications of how holiness is helpful to us. And so I'm going to just highlight um, two this week, and then we can talk about more things next week. But the first one being, and so this is under why does it matter? Holiness, it helps us understand. <clears throat> this is a long one now that I write it out. I can type it faster. Our world <laughs> and ourselves. If you don't like writing that many words, you could just say understand. But um, it, it makes sense of some things for us. Um, it probably goes without saying, I think, here, but it may be good to remind us. Holiness is not a common idea in our society or in the cultures we find ourselves in. Um, it's probably not a word you hear discussed much unless it's just before an explicit, uh, like a bad word, like holy something, you know, like we, we throw that in, but it's not like meaning what that's meaning. Um, Paul Tripp says, holy is viewed as a dusty religious concept with little practical meaning, held onto by a shrinking minority. Welcome to the shrinking minority. Um, almost everyone wants justice, mercy, peace, forgiveness, and love, but they can exist in our lives only if the one in control is holy. Um, and I think this is important to re remember and realize. This is why it helps make sense of our world and ourselves is even though holiness is not what's being talked about, this idea that there is one who is completely other and completely pure needs to exist for our world to make sense. And without it, the future's just abysmal and life here is very small and problem fraught. Um, Tripp goes on to say, because we've abandoned this truth, but God has hardwired in all of us a hunger for what holiness can produce. If you look around and listen, you will discover that in the practical scheme of things, holy simply doesn't matter, and for many, it doesn't exist. So again, categorically, the idea is jettisoned, but if you listen and watch to what's going on, it's needed, and people are crying out for it. They just don't know that. Um, holiness is really an essential concept for us as Christians, and, and that's why it's important to talk about. And he says this, God's holiness changes the way you understand everything. And because it does, it changes the way you live with and relate to everything. Here is the most important thing you could ever think about. 
Now that's a bold statement. The Lord is, and he is holy. Paul Tripp says that's the most important thing you could ever think about. You could take that or leave it, but I think there's a ton to that. How? Why? Why is this so important? Well, holiness has an orienting otherness. Think of the two things about holiness, right? Otherness and purity. Both of those orient us, and I just want to just think about it briefly. We need to know as creatures that there is someone other than us. If this creator-creature distinction does not hold true, and creation is all that is, or God somehow fits, like you can have gods under the created order, but none who cross this divide, um, then that's a very um, bleak future and outcome. You can think about it like when you're a child, everyone around you is taller than you and stronger than you and smarter than you, right? And, um, well, maybe not smarter than you. I thought I was pretty smart at three. Um, just kidding. They are smarter than you, right? Um, even if you're a little know-it-all at that age. Um, so everyone around you is bigger, right? But, and, and what does that give for you as a child? It's a sense of security. It's fitting. It's right. There can be safety in that. There's something to attain to. There's a trajectory, right? But then as you get older, what happens? You realize, like you become stronger and you realize that it's all relative, right? It's still true that there are many who are stronger, smarter, anything about us than me or than you. Maybe not stronger than Caleb, but, um, but and so as you get older, it becomes disorienting a little bit, doesn't it? To realize that, oh, the ceiling is just with creaturehood of people. I thought that parents and adults were this skyscraper that could never be exhausted. But you realize even the smartest person is bound by finitude and doesn't know a ton of things. Even the strongest person can't keep us all safe. The smartest person can't solve all of our problems. Creaturehood is this ceiling that we need something on the other side of it. And that's where God's holiness, this complete otherness, orients us to what we're looking for in the world. So as we're looking for those things like safety, and as we're looking for things like a plan that could somehow make this mess work out, or that could somehow bring forgiveness, or justice, or redemption, or love into this world, it's not bound by creaturely limitations. There's this orienting otherness of who God is. And so it, it makes sense of our world a bit. And there's also an orienting purity. I guess orienting isn't what I should underline there. There we go. <clears throat> um, the same is true with our ethical actions, right? The, what we come to learn is that um, we seek to be good and loving and just, but that far, falls far short of the goodness and the love and the justice that we need and that other people need. Um, 
And those things, while they are like God, we're not expressing them as holy in the same way that God can and does. Paul Tripp says, this longing is in everybody's heart because we were designed to live in a world that was put together and ruled by one who is holy in every way all of the time. Because he is always holy and good, we would be assured that we would live in a world that was made peaceful and safe. Sin shattered the glass of shalom, but our longing for it is still there. And what we long for is possible only if the one in control of it all is holy and good. (laughs) Other enough to make it work and pure and good enough to move toward us, right? Um, That's an amazing thing. And so this goes back to what, what Kevin was saying. These orienting, the otherness and the purity of God actually becomes comforting. And it's actually what we need is God's holiness. We may not think that. What do I need more than anything else? God's holiness. Um, But again, Tripp says it's vital for us to remember that God's holiness is essential to every human being's emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being, whether we realize it or not. I find that fascinating. Okay. Does, it, does that make sense? Holiness actually makes our limitations, both ethically and creaturely, ontologically, uh, it makes them make sense because there is one who is other, and ultimately that's um, comforting. The, the second application, and, and we'll close with this, is holiness makes us marvel at our salvation. When we stop and we realize how other than us God is, that there's this chasm. I mean, you think of this building and you can't even see the top, and that's nowhere near the distance between the creator and the creature. And then you think of this being who is so other and also perfectly pure, and we see holiness at all as we can for what it is, then what's just... Um, hard to even fathom is that a being, a God in that position would want anything to do with creatures so down here. (laughs) And not only so down here, but so marred by sin, right? Uh, That's just an amazing thing. And as believers and what scripture holds forth is holiness doesn't end with just the otherness and the purity of God, but it's also shaped by the narrative of scripture, meaning this, that God in his holiness doesn't, it doesn't just highlight his difference from us. It also includes his movement toward us, that his movement toward us is holy love toward us. It is holy justice that's being enacted on the cross. That all those things about who he is, none of those is jettisoned in this plan that he has made to continue to move toward us in love. 
Um, He has bound us to himself in covenant love. And in Christ, God's holiness can now be for us a source of delight rather than a source of fear of judgment. Um, All throughout the scriptures, God has mind-bogglingly made a way for impure people to come near to him, right? We saw that in Exodus, and we saw that in our Leviticus study with the tabernacle. Why is this God who is so other, why is he stooping down to make this little tent with these little things so these little sinful people could get closer to the Holy of Holies and just experience a taste of the goodness of the utter purity of his presence, It's because of his holy love, his movement toward um, being worshipped and adored and in relationship with us. And so I I just want to close, like, I mean, we could just explore that, but I I think it's just important to realize as, as we think about holiness, we always have to have it take us to this marvel of a God who doesn't just sit up there in his otherness and purity, but who comes to us in our creatureliness and sin. And what does he actually do? Raises us up, not to ever cross that creator-creature divide, um, but to come into the very triune fellowship and presence of this other God, that even as creatures, we are caught up into the blessedness of his holiness uh, in, in a way that's perfectly fitting. And so just as we close... Um, there's a beauty to this. There's a beauty to this. And Psalm 29.2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor, also in the beauty of his holiness. And what is beauty? Beauty is an aspect of the, the glory of God. As, as God comes to us in his glory, and we see that making manifest who he is and what he does, as it comes to us, beauty is that aspect of who God is and of his glory that brings delight to us. That's what it is. And so as we see the, the holiness of God, as it, it comes to us, as we've considered it, There's something that delights us, and what delights us is that God has chosen to see us as delightful (laughs) and wanting to bring us into fellowship with himself that we could experience life with him forever. Um, The hymn that we're going to sing this morning, Holy, 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 Um, pull out your hymnals if you haven't picked out a bulletin yet and just turn to hymn 100. If you're ever wondering how you can keep in mind what Scripture says about holiness, this hymn is kind of a perfect uh, recap of it. But in verse 1, it, it brings together, at the end of it, merciful and mighty. It's that otherness, and yet in his mercy, he has come to us. And so that's where our, our worship comes from. And then in, in stanza 2, all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, cherubim, seraphim, falling down before thee, who wert and art and evermore shall be. That's the otherness of God that's being celebrated there, right? And then stanza 3, 
Though the darkness hide thee, the darkness that dwells within us, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, we can't look upon him in his purity. Only thou art holy, other and pure. There is none beside thee, again, that otherness, perfect in power and love and purity. It's capturing uh, the perfection of those attributes in God. And then finally, what's our response to that? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful, there it is again, and mighty. His holiness has brought him toward us. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. The relationship of the triune God, which is now um, we have been brought into, and we have this Holy Spirit himself, dwelling within us, which we'll talk about more next week. So let me pray, and uh, then we will um, get to hear from this holy God in our worship service and sing in response to him. Our Father in heaven, we are humbled by your word. We're humbled by your otherness. We confess how often we shrink you down to be someone or something like us, maybe just a little bit bigger, We confess how often we justify our own impurity and sin, thinking that it's just better than those who are around us without holding it up before the brilliance of your purity. And we are undone as we consider these things, but we are comforted and in awe of the fact that you as this holy God have loved us and that through the Lord Jesus Christ, everything that kept us from you has been removed. And then now you dwell within us, and one day we will dwell with you forever. Not because you had to do this, because you want to, and because you love and delight in each and every one of us who are your sons and daughters through faith in Christ, our older brother. Fill us with joy and wonder and awe over these things as we go from here and as we come back to worship you in a few moments. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.